Uh, you may or may not be aware of this. I, I doubt that many of us are. But today is the 40th year anniversary of the existence of this church. 40 years. And I, I don't think for one second that all those years ago when a smallish group of people gathered that they ever imagined what God would do in light of the fact that thousands of lives have been touched out of this house over those years. Hundreds and hundreds of people have come to know Jesus personally for themselves. And many, many of those have been commissioned and sent and and uh, released into ministry over the years. I was trying to recall, there's probably about 20, maybe 30 people who've gone on to do even greater things than some of the things that we've seen God do here. And um, today we want to mark that just by a prayer, really. It was a prayer that started it. And this is what the prayer went like all those years ago. Lord, by your spirit, by your spirit, God, do something wonderful. I wonder if we could repeat that prayer. Would that be okay? I think sometimes we kind of forget the history. And I believe if you don't understand your history, you won't understand your destiny. You know, when this church was started, there was a group of hungry people for the Holy Spirit. They wanted God to move in power. They tasted and they'd seen that the Lord is good. And so religion just didn't do it for them anymore. And the routines and the rituals, they just weren't enough. They didn't, they didn't satisfy the hunger that was released in those people. And it came out of a move of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I believe that the DNA of this church is clearly set out for us, that we are called by God to be an apostolic center, people who are presence-orientated and people-facilitating that God would use us and continue to use us over the years to bring life to people and to release them into their fullness and into their blessing. And it wouldn't be a really poor or shoddy thing for us to do just to stop for a moment and thank God for the thousands of lives that have been touched by a handful of people. And that's all it was at the beginning, wasn't it, Liz? Just a handful of people who were hungry for God. You know that hunger changes the world in the negative and in the, the spiritually positive. Hunger changes the words. I know you've just sat down, so I won't ask you to stand up. Is that okay? Even though I've got a bad knee. <laughs> I won't be vicious like that. So just open your hands before the Lord. Oh, Jesus. Year after year and person after person and life after life, you are clearly and absolutely the transforming God. You took a group of hungry people who were thirsty for your presence, who longed to see you move by your spirit, to see people come to faith and people get healed and people be restored. People with a hope and a belief that somehow God was capable and able and wanting to do such a great work. And here we are 40 years later and some of those people are no longer with us, Lord, the saints that have gone before us. You would call those the great cloud of witnesses. And they're cheering us on, God. They're asking for a renaissance. They're praying, Lord God, that you would refresh certain things, that you would renew certain things, that the same hunger and appetite that led them to gather and to seek you would be restored in its fullness in the depths of our being. 
They're asking, Lord God, before your throne, as is Jesus who intercedes for us night and day, that you would awaken us to love. You would awaken our hearts to all that you are. And Lord, I pray that as we celebrate this anniversary in a spiritual sense, that you would realign us with our truest identity and, and DNA, Lord, that you would restore to us the years the locusts have eaten, and that, Lord, this fresh move of your spirit that you keep promising me is coming, Lord God, will begin in this house through your people who want to know you and who want to make you known. Lord, I ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So anybody thirsty for God? Anybody desperate for God to do something? You know, desperation has a physicality to it. You know, I don't know who's calling who, but if you could answer it, that would be great. <laughs> um, desperation has a, a body language. There's something about people who are desperate for God that is easily recognizable. You can see it by the posture and the way they live and the priorities they have and the things that they value. And when, when you discover the presence of God, and I never take for granted that all of us know what we mean by that, that can mean a hundred different things to a hundred different people. When you've experienced God, nothing else satisfies. And, and you can't go back. You can't ever go back. Because once you've been exposed to the fullness of the Spirit, there is nowhere else to go but to God. He's the only person who can satisfy. And um, I love the words of the Apostle Peter when everyone was leaving Jesus and doing their own thing and getting on with their lives, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, will you leave me also? And Peter said this, this phrase, it's a wonderful phrase. He said, where else, where else would I go? Only you, only you, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. In other words, there's something so remarkable about you, Jesus, that when you speak, everything in me comes alive. There's something so profound about the way you live and the way you love the Father that just being around you causes everything in me to become fully awakened and aroused. I can't find anyone else like that in this world, Jesus. You're the only place where I can be and the only one who can satisfy the longings of my heart. And what, what I believe is so important about this next 40 years, I won't be here to see some of it. I, I think I belong since gone. And I'd like you to say very nice things at that funeral, by the way. But, but what I believe is that we are about to ascend the hill of the Lord. There is an incremental sense of the presence of God becoming far more powerful in our gatherings. That's not just for our entertainment, by the way. That has a greater goal. As we are impacted by the Spirit, we will allow the Holy Spirit to move through us outside of the building. And this city, this great city, will no longer be known as the city of industry. It will be known as the city where the power of God fell in great, great measure. That's where we're heading. That's what God desires to do. God wants to redeem this city. He wants to redeem the people of this city. And he's awaking his church, and it all comes from his presence. You see, his presence isn't just something that happens in a song. God is available 24-7. He desires for us to live in consistent communion, to be filled with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be overwhelmed by the Spirit, to be restored by the Spirit, to be renewed by the Spirit. So I keep going. And so it can never be fully satisfied. That 
great groan of the heart of God for us to be completely submerged and immersed in His fullness can never be satisfied, can never truly be fulfilled by just the casual ways in which sometimes we interact with God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Do you know what's really humbling? When you give up your life. When other things that look like they matter don't matter to you anymore. That's what that humility is speaking of. When you stop all of the stuff that keeps God out. <laughs> that's what humility looks like in the kingdom of God. When you make him first. When he's your waking thought and your final prayer. When you seek first the kingdom and all its righteousness. Knowing that as you take care of that part, he'll take care of every part. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will give up their lives and come away from their distractions and reorientate their hearts and seek my face and pray. And that word prayer doesn't mean that we just offer things to God. It means communion. It means an interaction. It means prophetic understanding. It means enlightenment. It needs revelation. If my people commune and pray, I will pour out my spirit on their barren land. Take a little look around you. The world is fastly becoming a spiritually barren place. Have you noticed that? Just about any way and every way possible, I look around and I can't catch my breath at the decay of morality in society. It shocks me sometimes. And I'm slightly unshockable. I mean, you don't really know what's true anymore. Truth is a, a, a circumspect value system that individuals have. We've gone crazy in our world, and whatever your truth is, is your truth. No, 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 no. Please do not be fooled by the propaganda of the enemy. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And no one can come to God except you come through Jesus, not through TikTok or Facebook. So these next 40 years, an explosion of the Spirit's power. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. What you're seeing at the front here is the beginning. Young men will prophesy at the moment they're holding communion cups. But we're getting their hands ready. Because they will hold the broken and see them healed. And that which is in a cup which symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ will be all over their lives to such a measure that as these young men and women lay hands on the sick, radical healings will come. We have celebrated the odd healing. It will become commonplace in the church and outside the church for the power of God to be moving through people's lives. And you're one of them, and you're one of them, and you're one of them, and I'm going to watch with great joy and a little disappointment. Because my generation, this generation, the older ones here, you know, don't you, young people, that you are where you are because people prayed because God allowed them to serve, we prepared the way of the Lord. We might never get to see it with our eyes, but we have seen it in our hearts. We have perceived it in our deeper most beings. And God's going to do an amazing thing. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I say that to you because I want to make you ready for that. It's become obvious to me that we're ascending the hill of the Lord. It's becoming obvious to me that there's an incline. Now, the problem with an incline is it needs effort. 
okay? And um, when God starts to invite us up the mountain of the Lord, he's inviting us to the high places of his presence and his fullness. And it will take effort. You can't climb a mountain without effort. So it'll require of the church some effort. And at times that will feel counterintuitive. Let me explain what I mean. Because we have this notion, don't we, that everything God wants to do will be so easy for us. Now, I'm a father. I allow some things to be difficult for my daughter because unless she experiences the difficulty, she will never experience the victory. Okay, that's called being a good father. And that's on my best day. I won't go into the other details. You'll be horrified. Okay, now God is a good father and he will allow some things that feel difficult sometimes, hard, painful. We, we will feel an exhaustion that comes and people say, aren't we striving, pastor? No, we're not striving. We are moving from one degree of glory to the next to the next and you can't move unless you move. You can't sit this dance out. <laughs> you can't just meander through you have to be intentional of heart and you have to go after the deep things of God. And as you, the God who will diligently reward and surpass anything that you've ever invested in time and prayer and intercession or pursuit of him, you will be astounded what God will do. Forty years. Some of them have been in the wilderness. Over that time, there's been some really difficult things that the church had to face. But God was faithful. He was right there in the middle of the pain sometimes. Aren't you grateful that you're not here trying to work this out, but God's with you? Hello? Talk to me, please. Somebody, please. There's been times of great glory. I remember a time when God just moved so powerfully. Um, it's through your granddad, actually. He just used to see Pastor Woodfield would pray for sick people. They'd be sealed, sealed, healed. Demons would, would start to manifest. You know, one of this polite stuff, you're taking people out into corridors to set them free. It all happened at the front with groans and moans and a few buckets of sick, to be honest with you. It's very colorful, messy, but colorful. And we didn't hide behind any pretenses the power of Jesus. And Jesus turned up. And people got gloriously set free. Do you think that we need that now? I think we need that now. I think so much has happened to us and in us and around us. And goodness knows what's happening to me now. Is that the Lord trying to stop me? You know, I think we need a, a, a measure of exposure to that. Because I think we've become lightweight and indifferent and casual about such matters. But I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you from my prophetic heart before God. And I'm ringing now. I'm saying to you before my perfected heart for God that this church is about to walk up the mountain of the Lord. Amen. I want to ask you, do you have your shoes ready? Yeah. You might need the stick, the rod, and his staff. They will bring comfort to you. But you need to keep your eye on the summit. You need to keep your eye on what God is doing. Don't be distracted by people complaining. Do you know in every move of God, people complain? Every time God begins to move, people start to complain because we get comfortable. Our default is to, to, to become comforted and, and comfortable in the patterns of how things happen. But when God begins to bring the new thing, he brings a disruption to those things. 
So people get ready, people get ready. The Lord is moving, the Lord is moving on you. He's gonna move through you, it's gonna be a powerful, you know, you should be on your feet shouting and rejoicing here right now. That's the truth of what's on offer for you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We've been studying over the last number of weeks, Psalm 112, and you know there are like 24 principles by this man, how he lived his life, 24. And um, <laughs> and uh, it's difficult each week to kind of do justice to each of them, so I just encourage you to read the Psalm, but um, I'm gonna tell you something now that that is very private, but I think quite important, and it relates to what I've just said to you. I was awakened yesterday morning at four o'clock in the morning, and um, when you get to my age, that's not unusual. Okay, but what was different about this, I woke up and I was crying, I was sobbing, and I lay there for a moment because I wasn't sure if I was awake or I wasn't awake, and um, I put my hands up to my eyes and I could feel the tears. And I thought, I've been crying. Why have I been crying? I mean, I, do, I don't even remember what dreams I had. I don't remember what happened. I just, I felt very moved. I felt very tender. I felt very vulnerable. I felt almost exposed. I thought, whatever happened to me in my, my dreams, something of God took place. And um, I lay there for a moment or two because I wanted to try and assimilate what I sensed was happening. I can't say that I had any great clarity on it. And like most of you, I resorted to my phone. Because the Bible says whatever you can ask, imagine, or Google. <laughs> and so I resorted to my phone, and I, I picked up my phone. And um, I'm a little bit of a fan, if I must confess this. They say confession is good for the soul and lousy, the reputation. I'm a bit of a fan of two places on the internet. One is Marketplace. Has anyone ever heard of Marketplace? Marketplace is a, is a kind of a, a site that's attached to Facebook where people sell their unwanted items. And uh, I've always been a bit of a treasure hunter. So, you know, in the wee small hours of the night when, you know, I can't sleep, often I would just trawl through Marketplace and think, oh, that's a nice sideboard. Oh, well, that mirror would look nice here. And um, those shoes, are they size six? Well, they're not big enough, but they're, they're very cheap and I really should buy them. And the good thing about Marketplace is it's generally local people. So unlike eBay, where you have to send somebody to get something, you can go yourself. So I've been, and we're renovating a house, so I'm looking for bits and pieces for that. And so I could be very dissatisfied with looking at Marketplace. And I, I shut it down, and then I thought, oh, what about TikTok? It's four in the morning. And so I go on to TikTok. And I'm trolling through TikTok and uh, there's a thing called an algorithm. I don't know if you've heard of that. Some of you will know what that means. Some of you think I'm speaking in tongues and need an interpretation. But an algorithm, we've gone off now. The sound has gone down a bit low. You can turn that site back up a bit. An algorithm basically means is that the computer or the system reads the kind of things that you intentionally look at and it creates a pattern of those things that come around. And so if you ever want to know what people are really interested in, I'm just saying, it'll come around, okay? So all of you who've been searching for Botox in Turkey, we know who you are. <laughs> we know who you are, we know where you live, okay? So, so 
I'm lying there, and I'm half asleep, half awake, and I'm thinking, God, I just feel, I feel so dissatisfied. I feel so dissatisfied. I'm so conscious at this moment of my own brokenness. Lord, I'm just a wearied, broken old man. And um, there's nothing on TikTok that seems to answer any question I didn't expect it to. And um, I'm just about to shut that down, and um, this song comes on. This little girl, a young woman, starts singing, and she's singing, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, where my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, where my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. And then the chorus goes, I will call upon your name. And I started to cry again. I started to weep. And I felt, I felt my room fill with the presence of God, a God of mercy and tenderness, a God that so wanted to remind me and to show me just how precious I was in his sight. And I must confess to you, I felt really undone by it. And I'm lying there trying not to make too much noise because Jane's next to me and I'm, these tears are just falling down. You know, when you lie back, you don't come down here, do they come down here? And when you've got as many crevices as I, they've got the whole roadmap to choose from. And um, I say this to the Lord, I say this to the Lord, what happened to me? What happened to me, Jesus? What happened to the man, the young man, that so loved your presence, he pursued it with all his might? What happened to him, Jesus? What happened to the, the, the young man that believed, in spite of what everybody else showed him or told him, that you could restore a human life until it was absolutely unrecognizable? What happened to him? What happened to that young man? What happened to the one young man that was so sweet in the sense that he didn't have any agenda that people would confess their deepest and darkest problems to him sitting next to him in a social event? And how did it happen? How did it happen, God? that all of those youthful desires at once somehow have turned into something far less, far less beautiful, far less powerful. And the words of the song were like a prayer. Spirit, lead me. Spirit, lead me. And as I began to engage with God. I felt this phrase, I didn't share this in the first service, this wasn't my intention to do this today, I just feel there's something about this. God said to me, Simon, I have always 
I have always been full-faced towards you. And as he said those words to me, I recognized something about that truth. I thought, you know that scripture that says that his face shines upon you? It's speaking about the favor of God and, and the passion of God. And um, I just was, okay, God, I've always been full-faced towards you, not two-faced towards you. I'm completely given to you, Simon, unreservedly, without any hesitation. I have and will continue and could never stop giving you my everything. I couldn't say the same. I couldn't respond. I didn't have words. There was nothing to say. Why could I quantify or qualify a life that was lived in a lesser reality than that reality? And God spoke to me and he said this. He said, the world around you is obsessed with being seen. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be heard. They do the most ridiculous things to be seen. They dress really strangely so that when somebody scrolls past their post on Facebook, you stop and pause because they need that attention. That attention is such a craving in their heart, they couldn't live without it. It's insatiable, that desire to be recognized or understood or accepted or valued or even seen is such an intoxicating, powerful human reality that people do all kinds of things in all kinds of ways. And I recalled over the time, I'd looked over TikTok, that there's kinds of wonderful things but also quite weird things. There are people who are playing pranks on people and they film it. And sometimes those people are getting hurt, but it's on TikTok. And the amount of likes underneath that is quite astounding. It's quite astounding. There's a, a lady that comes on. She's unrecognizable as a human being. She's had so much plastic surgery. Her face doesn't even look like it's human. It looks like it's some kind of bizarre doll of some description. And, and she's desperate, desperate for people to tell her how beautiful she is. I'm sorry. Desperate. There's young men with their shirts off, flexing their muscles publicly. I look at it, I think, God, what is that? What is this? There's a narcissism that has gripped society. Everybody's wanting, desiring, needing to be seen. And they really don't care how or what it is that causes them to be seen, as long as they stick out from the crowd, as long as somebody somewhere pays them attention. And I thought, God, what, what a broken world we're living in. What a broken world. And you know what these things are like, don't you? For the 10 that like you, there's 300 that detest you. So the very thing you think you're being rewarded by becomes a curse. It's like a cycle. 
but you can't resist the temptation for somebody somewhere to say something positive about who you are. It's an addiction. And in society, let me call these things out to you. Big Brother. Love Island. Those people aren't looking for love. <laughs> you don't find love on a television program. Come on, let's keep this real. And what do they do to, f to be seen? They undress themselves in front of the world. You can't undo a thing like that. You can't undo those things. Such is the thing that the devil has done to society and humanity that we are insatiable for someone to give us attention. We will sleep with whoever we need to sleep with. We will prostatize our values and worth because we want someone somewhere to say, you have something or you're special. Everyone wants to be discovered. And remember, this man, nobody knew his name. Doesn't mention where he lived or his family or anything like that. But somehow, in some way, in spite of the world in which he lived in, where everybody wanted to be somebody, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of God, I don't know whose attention you're looking for, but I can recommend someone to you. Because all of these people you think, you think value, in two weeks' time, they won't remember your name. We were seven years in the church in Bristol. I went back after we left as a regional leader and somebody shook me at the door, hand of the door and said, is this your first time with us? <laughs> seven years, seven years of praying and ministering and meeting people and visiting them. And we are but a vapor. This world is so fickle. You could be today's greatest thing since sliced bread and tomorrow you are trash. And nobody cares about the damage that that process does to an individual's heart. But remember this, please remember this. God is full-faced. He is full-faced. He looks you right in the eyes, unashamedly, unreservedly, without any apology whatsoever. His eye is upon you. He is full towards you. If you ever needed someone to tell you you had value, go to God. God is perfect. He sees you as you are. He knows you for who you are. And His face is set like a flint towards you. No distractions, no interruptions, no disruptions. His eye is upon you. He sees you. He knows you. He wants you. He loves you. He delights in you. Where else? Who else? How else are you going to find that kind of reality? I struggle with intimacy. If I'm talking to somebody and I'm chatting with them, I look at them for a moment and I look down. Or I look away. Don't tell me you don't do anything different. I know you all do. There's something about looking somebody right in the eye and locking that stare that feels a little uncomfortable for all of us. It almost makes us feel that they might see something they don't like. That maybe the eyes, after all, are the windows to the soul and they can see beyond the surface of who we pretend to be to the reality of who we truly are. Men are particularly good at this. 
We never lock eyes with anybody. We shake hands on the QT. When I first came to the church, I didn't know there was such a thing as a sideways hug. I'd never seen it in my life. Came from a theatrical family. It was full embrace in my family. Well, not from our parents particularly, but for theatrical people. Full embrace. <laughs> Intimacy causes us to feel vulnerable. It causes us to feel uncomfortable. It causes us to maneuver or to allow a distraction or even a, a, a sense of something other because we can't look at each other for who we truly are because we know who we pretend to be is not real. And so can you imagine when you see the face of God looking at you? Everything in us wants to look away, wants to look down, wants to look above, look beyond. Why? Because the one who is perfect is looking into the heart of the one who is imperfect. But the Father's face, the Father's face is set towards you permanently, consistently. How amazing is that? In a world where everybody wants to be seen, why not give him a chance to truly see you? Why not allow yourself to be truly seen? I think the Apostle Paul, in his book to the Corinthian church, says this, I fix my eyes on Jesus. He's kind of almost echoing back to God the reality of how God has fixed his eyes on us. He's saying, you're looking at me, and now I'm going to start looking at you. Years ago when Jane had her cornea transplant, which was a real terrible thing that happened to her. We bought a house actually around the corner here and uh, Jane has allergies and asthma and things and she got this huge reaction to cat fur that was in the carpet and we cleaned it and everything but it would uh, obviously they had a number of cats and it started to cause her eye to swell and we went over to what was Dudley Road Hospital. It's now, you know, just because you rebrand a place doesn't change a place, does it? Heartlands. <laughs> and uh, they said to her, no, you, you've got this cornea, this thing has grown over your eye. So she had to have this cornea transplant. We, we'd moved by now, we were in Glasgow. And I remember, I remember when she came around, she had a head and a brace. She had to lie there for a number of days, couldn't move. And um, I remember coming over to the hospital and she opened her eyes for the first time of the operation. Oh, I was so blessed. And then she said this, my goodness, you've got old, haven't you? <laughs> you've got old. <laughs> I said, gosh, you've aged, you've aged. I, I was, do you ever want to pray something back? <laughs> when God looks at you, he sees you. I mean, sees you. He sees who you really are. He sees what's important to you. He sees what you value. He sees the people that you value. It's just a profound thing to be seen by God. To be seen by God, I think, just brings such a life to your soul. You, there's no one can look at you the way God looks at you. Zephaniah 3.17, it's the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, says this about God. This is how he perceives us. The Lord your God, notice the personal, your God, in the midst of you, 
is mighty to save. And listen to this. This is what you do to the heart of God. He rejoices over you with singing. He quiets you with his love. And there's this wonderful picture in Zephaniah 3.17 of the heart of God as a father who cherishes, cherishes the beauty of his child and gazes upon that beauty without hesitation. That penetration of the perfect vision of God, seeing even us in our shame, in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our pain, in our anger, in our frustration. And he never, ever looks away. He never looks down. He never looks past you. His eyes are fixed upon you day and night, night and day, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You have caught the attentions of God. Your heavenly Father cannot get enough of you. He delights in everything about you. He sings a song of love over you. You don't need TikTok to tell you you have value. You don't need likes on Facebook to cause your heart to sing. There is one above all, and he is perfect, whose gaze and gaze is permanently fixed upon you, and he likes what he sees. He likes what he sees. And he sees. I mean, he sees. He sees. He sees you. He knows you. He wants you. He can't keep his hands off you, and he'll never turn his face from you. As I lay there in my bed, I wept because I thought, how can I have known all that and that's not new to me and lived in some of that and yet feel so far removed from that? And the only conclusion I could come to is that my heart had become hard. Do you know it's very hard to be old and not cynical? Hello? Anybody over 20? It's very hard to be old and not cynical. Do you know what I think? You have to really work hard at not being cynical. I remember sitting in an elders meeting once many years ago, and in fact, it may have even been here, and I was listening to the conversations, trying to work out where God was in the things people were saying, and right at the end of it all, the person that had the kind of most influence they, they said something along the lines of this, but we need to be realistic. We need to be practical here. And I listened and I thought, is that wisdom? Maybe. And then they carried on talking. And what masqueraded as wisdom was actually cynicism. They were saying, don't get your hopes up. Have you ever heard that in church? Well, if you can't get your hopes up here, where are you going to get them up? Where else are you going to find hope? Jesus is the hope of the world. Yeah, your hope should be off the scale. Yeah, it should be well up. I mean, higher than even where you're nodding at currently. Give me three nods and we might be moving in the right direction. Your hope should be off the scale. It should be up here. Because our hope is not in this world or the politicians or whoever's serving us gas in the winter that's coming. The winter of discontent as it will be known for many, I'm sure. 
or just disconnect if you can't afford to be plugged into the electric mains, whichever it is. Our God is still the God of the universes who holds the stars in the sky and keeps you in the palm of his hand. You are, your, your name is written in his body. It's written on his body. The scars he bears are tattoos, if you like, heavenly tattoos of reminders to all who can see that you are his and he is completely and utterly given to you. So I'm lying there and I think, I don't want to be where I am. I don't want to be, I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to be hard of heart, God. I don't want to be resistant to your spirit. I want to be tender. I want to be alive, Jesus. And I want you, spirit lead me where my, I want to be there, Jesus. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, where my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk across the waters wherever you may call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, where my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. I want to be there. I want to be that alive. I want to be that available. I don't want to be distracted, Jesus. I don't want to be chasing fool's gold when I have treasure in my intimate relationship with you. My prayer went like this. God, help me to be full-faced. Help me to be full-faced, to see you and to know you as life. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus, to give of myself completely to you, to not be distracted by things that lead to destruction, but, Lord, to be so attracted to you that the whole of my being is orientated. My personal chair is pointing towards the window of your light. Lord, let me orientate my face towards your glory. Let me align my heart to your great story. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me be who you've called me to be. And it doesn't matter whether I'm liked, and it doesn't matter, Lord, whether I'm recognized, and it doesn't matter what people think or do or say around it. The only audience, the only one who can truly tell me the truth about who I am and all that I'm here for can only be found when I am full-faced as you are full-faced with me. Let me look into your eyes, Jesus, and not feel shame. Let me not look down, God, because of the darkness inside me. Let me look into your eyes, Lord God, and see wonder and majesty and glory and power and fullness, Lord. Let my eyes be drawn to your eyes as lovers do, Father. And may we engage in a heavenly romance that causes our hearts to be so intertwined, Lord God, that we cannot even see the rest of the world around us, Lord. Give me eyes for you, Jesus. Give me a heart that longs for you. Help me to seek first the kingdom of heaven and all its righteousness, knowing that all things that I've chased are pointless and wasteful, and you will give them to me anyway, Lord. 
Let your kingdom come, Jesus. Let your will be done in me, God. Let it be done around me and for me. Make me like you, full-faced. If you set your heart like a flint towards Jerusalem, I want to set my heart like a flint towards your face, God. Looking to my eyes, Jesus. I know you see who I am, but may I look into your eyes and see who you really are. There is hope. There is hope for me, God. There is a place assigned to me at your table that no one can sit at, for you have called me by name and brought me to the banquet of blessing and fullness, Lord. You are my beloved. You are my beloved, Jesus. You are my beloved, and I am yours. I am yours, O oh God. Holy Spirit, the one who leads us to life, awaken us to love, I pray. Awaken us to love, Lord, this day. Holy Spirit, turn our head back towards the Father. If we've been distracted or attracted to other things, then turn our face back towards the Father that we may see him in his beauty, in his majesty, in his glory. And Lord, if we turn our eyes down because of shame, lift our head, be the lifter of our head, O oh God, that we would stay fully faced and connected to you. For where you are, there is always life, God. And your favor is given to us freely through Jesus' blood, his death, and his resurrection. Where else can we go? Who else can satisfy? Only you have the words of eternal life. And the Lord said to me, Simon, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Things that you think are lost have only been misplaced. And I will restore everything that has been taken. And I said, God, I don't care. I don't care about those things. All I want is you. All I want is you. And this phrase came to mind that through it all, he has reduced me, reduced me to love. And there is no greater thing than love. Love is God. God is love. And so, Father, today I pray that you would fill our hearts with that sense of closeness and intimacy and connectivity with you. And for those who wanted a sermon, there's always next week. And those who desire teaching, God, thank you that you have the word in your hand and the spirit who brings life. But for those who's in their heart of hearts say there's more to this life than I currently have, more to Jesus than I truly experience. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me, please, in this moment and be full-faced 
with the God who is full-faced towards you. If that's you and you want that intimacy and connectivity with God, just stand to your feet. He wants all of you. And he wants to place all of him in all of you. He is wholehearted, fully committed, and has no hesitation in inviting you to intimacy. For you were created from and you are created for intimacy with God. Intimacy is your greatest reality. It's more real than the gas bills or the politicians or the opinions or perspectives of people. Intimacy is your new legacy. It's what you will leave behind when you leave a room. Who you know is what fills the atmosphere with the aroma of heaven. And as you look at him and he looks at you, something will happen of such a profound nature between you and God you will never ever be satisfied with lesser things for you will have tasted and seen and your reward is him it's not stuff it's him he is more than enough he more than satisfies so lift your hands please church and say to your father in heaven whose face is fully turned towards you heavenly father Turn my face towards you. Help me when I'm distracted. Lift my chin when I'm full of shame. And keep our eyes locked for the rest of eternity. Amen. Lord, into me see. And you say to us, your church, Church, in to me, see. Deep is crying out for deep in this room, God. There's a longing rising in our hearts that only you, Lord, can fulfill. And Lord, I thank you for being with us today. I thank you for speaking to us today. I thank you, Lord, for reminding us today that you are completely and utterly given to fulfilling and completing all that you started 
and those who ascend the hill of the Lord need to do so, listen to this, with clean hands and a pure heart. Father, if our hands have been given over to things of this world that don't satisfy, bring cleansing, I pray in Jesus' name. Wash, up, wash us with hyssop and with oil, Father, that we may be sacramentally and consecratedly clean before you today, Father. If the work of our hands has brought injustice, then forgive us, Lord. If the, the lifting of our hand has brought pain to another, Lord, then redeem that pain, we pray in Jesus' name. Father, if our hands have held on to things that have tried to hold on to us, Lord, we ask that you release our fingers from the snare of entrapment. For what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world, Lord, but loses his soul? And if our hands, Lord God, have been raised to anything other than in worship you, then, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name you would cleanse, you would heal, and you would restore, Father. And give us pure hearts. Your word says that the heart above all things is deceitful and it leads us astray. But Lord, greater, greater is your capacity through the power of your spirit to lead us into fullness than ever the devil's capacity to lead us astray. We just choose the narrow way, Lord. We choose the path less trodden. We choose you over everything. We choose you over everyone. That was hard, wasn't it? We choose you, Jesus. And Lord, as we choose you, we know that we are chosen by you and set apart for your glory. So Father, for your church, for this church and this anniversary day, I pray as the ascension begins, as we start to move deeper and further into the profound realities of a God who is moving in power amongst us, I pray, God, that you would keep our eyes our hearts, our lives, completely and utterly fixated and transfixed on your glorious face. And Lord, as we fix our eyes on you, become and always be the author, the writer of the story, and the perfecter, the completer that brings glory, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. And if you need a lift, we most assuredly need to hear from you. Thank you very much. Have a blessed week, church. We'll see you as soon as we see.